Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced at the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Jane Morton is a psychologist and the convener of Darabin Climate Action Now in Victoria. The group have recently published a booklet. It's called Don't Mention the Emergency making the case for emergency climate action. Here, Jane is speaking at the Sustainable Living Festival in Melbourne. She reviews the psychological research and makes the case that rather than trying not to scare people, the climate movement should take a high-threat, high-efficacy climate emergency messaging approach. Jane Morton explains... At the point where I realised we were facing a climate emergency, I was working as a government employee in a specialist um, psychology service, Spectrum. So now I mostly work as a volunteer on the climate emergency, but I still do a bit of training. I'm just going to start with a couple of the slides I still use in training because I'm going to talk about climate messaging, but my background is basically in my own experience of what works to move people to action. This is one of my favourite training slides. It's about acceptance and commitment therapy. And we use it all the time. Well, I used to in groups, uh, therapy groups, but also all the time in training. Accept your thoughts and feelings and be present. It's part of... It's to do with looking reality in the eye, letting your feelings be there. Choose action in line with your values. Take action. And it's what you do that counts. It's not how you feel. Um, and as time goes on, taking wise, making wise choices, taking wise action will make you feel better than just trying to make your feelings change. So this is my background. Um, the other thing that we use all the time in our training is that if you want people to change, if you want people to take action, don't link it to some little thing about you'll be healthier or something like that. Link it to the biggest, broadest, most art- overarching value that you can find. And the interesting thing is that all over the world, pretty much everybody, they all basically have the same values. When people are on their deathbed, the things they care about are what were my relationships like with those that I loved and did I make a difference in the world? This is where I start from. This is, this is what I know. And the other thing we say in our training really often is don't trust what I say, trust what your experience tells you. So when it came to climate messaging... I didn't trust what people were telling me. I trusted what I knew. So we're at a point in history where, sadly, the truth is actually frightening. So to just summarise it very briefly, there's a lot of things that show the earth is already too hot. It's not some problem that's in the future. There's a lot to show that some immoral billionaires are quite knowingly prepared to send us to destruction. I don't understand their psychology very well, but I think that there's no doubt that's what they're prepared to do. There's a lot of talk, and has been since at least 2007, about tipping points and whether we're past them. There's no doubt we're running out of time to act. So we've got to make big changes fast. If we're already too hot, it's pretty clear we've got to get to zero emissions as fast as we possibly can. In Australia, with Climate Code Red back in 2007, how come the message didn't get out? 
Well, there's quite a few obstacles, but the biggest one we face is that there's some very powerful, very wealthy people who are prepared to spread lies. And they buy newspapers and they buy TV channels and they pay people like Andrew Bolt to spread things that they know are lies. And we would have got ahead a lot faster if we, didn't, if we went up against really powerful people telling lies. So I won't go into that much more. But the bit I'm most interested in, obviously, as a psychologist, is the other main obstacle, which is cherry-picking the psychology. You know, we don't like it when deniers cherry-pick the science, but people are cherry-picking the psychology, and that is really annoying the hell out of me. And it showed up really clearly in what's called the doom and gloom debate, right? So a a very well-intentioned, very senior journalist, David Wallace-Wells, published an article... How many people actually read the thing? Oh, only a few. I think it was two million people read it. It was the most read article ever in the New Yorker. But the very day it came out, an eminent scientist said, look, he's got some of his facts wrong and we must not make people afraid. What he tried to do was basically he interviewed 20 scientists, this guy. Like he was... He made a serious effort and he tried to do what basically no scientists really are doing, or very few scientists are doing at the moment. He tried to put together a worst-case scenario. And look, he got some things wrong, no doubt about that. But the main thing he was pilloried for was scaring people. He got fact-checked, fact-checked half to death by climate feedback. He was rated minus 0.7, just above... An out-and-out lies Breitbart article. And he was labelled alarmist, imprecise, unclear and misleading. But he he then published another version of his article with line-by-line explanations of where he got his assertions from. And look, there was one that was clearly wrong. I think there's really only one. And I just totally agree with him that it, it doesn't seem plausible that there is more risk in scaring people then there is in basically not scaring them enough. If there's only a 1% chance that we've set off a chain reaction that will destroy human civilization, if not the planet, then we need to be able to mention this fact. Where did this view come from that we must not scare people? I have a suspicion, and I can't prove this, that it actually came from someone who was not in the least well-intentioned. This guy, Frank Luntz, Republican spin doctor and poll pusher, okay? So he does spin for the Republican Party. That's the main thing he did back in early 2000. It's the main thing he still does. That's him on Fox News quite recently. Um, So back in 2003, he told George Bush to stop using the global warming, start talking about climate change. And because... Climate change suggests it's more controllable, a more controllable and less emotional challenge. Plus, it fits great into the climate change deniers. Climate is always changing. We've got climate change. Every time we go climate change, we're just reinforcing their meme. Climate is always changing. So, Bush stopped using global warming. And blow me down, the climate movement stopped using it as well. How, how often do you hear global warming now compared with climate change? The other thing he said to the Republicans is the scientific debate is closing against us but not yet closed. 
you need to continue to make the lack of scientific certainty a primary issue in the debate. Focus on the science, demolish the science, or you will lose, he said. Okay, that was in 2003. So then, foolishly, I think, Obama employed this guy to tell Obama what Obama should do in his campaign, and he said to Obama the exact opposite. He said, don't mention the science. Focus on, no, not jobs and growth, but jobs and clean energy. Don't scare people. And Obama did it. And he told the US climate groups, don't scare people. You've got to talk about jobs and clean energy. And somewhere about the same time, the Australian climate movement started spreading this thing about don't scare people. And I don't know if it all came from Frank Luntz. I don't know where it exactly came from. But it has spread like a virus from this point. Some years after that, there was a booklet that was referred to over and over called... It's called Sizzle, The New Climate Emergency. And it's had pages like that early in the piece. Threats of climate hell have not seemed to hold us back from running headlong towards it. They they built their um, booklet on this guy, Elmer Wheeler, who actually was talking about steak, not sausages. It's always talked to about as sell the sizzle anyway. Now, the interesting thing about... Elmer Wheeler. Well, first of all, he wasn't a psychologist and he wasn't a researcher. But he was a really good salesman. So was he saying, use positive messages only? No. He was just saying, sell with emotion. And even if you read through the rest of Sizzle, the climate one, it basically says, tell people it's going to be hell if we don't act and tell them it's going to be heaven if we do. Threat, hope. Threat, Hope. That's what the main message actually is. But if you look at what's featured in their full-page quotes, you take away the exact opposite message, which is exactly what a large part of the climate movement did. They said, these guys are saying, you must make our clean energy future sizzle and only talk about that. It's not what Elmer Wheeler said, and it's not even what this report said. This is one that's quoted a lot too. This is apocalypse soon, dire messages reduce belief in global warming by contradicting just world beliefs. That's the title, right? That was in 2011. So what did they compare? What was their dire message and their positive message? Always you've got to look at what is compared. It was not in the article. So the average person who goes to read the article just reads the heading, reads the summary, it reads pretty much like this. What were they comparing? They were comparing two messages which were identical in their description of the science. Serious science, serious science. In the dire message, the last sentence was, and scientists say there is no hope. And in the positive message, they say, you know, it's all really serious, and scientists say there are things we can do. Well, who would have thought the second one would be better? One of the questions they asked is, well, after reading this, how much do you trust scientists? Well, the last sentence was scientists say they were, that there's no hope, which is not sort of true. And then you ask, how much do you trust scientists? This is a terrible study. But until you actually get onto the authors and request the actual text that they use, you don't know that. So instead, it's a spread all through the climate movement as some sort of gospel truth that you mustn't scare people. This is not what this shows. This is something that David Spratt quotes. Um, basically, people in their hearts are already scared. Like, it is amazing, the apocalyptic beliefs that are through society. There's a whole lot up there. I won't read them all out. Does that mean that we shouldn't scare them anymore? Or is it more like, you know, like you're in a marriage 
the parents are fighting horribly, the kids are starting to get scared that the parents might divorce, they've got all these apocalyptic fears, so we won't just talk about it. Well, that'll make them a lot more relaxed, won't it? No. If you've got apocalyptic fears, you actually need to have them discussed. You need to discuss the question, is there a solution? Can we do stuff? It needs to be out in the open, not in the back of people's minds. It's this terrible weight of fear. Okay, so... <laughs> now I'm going to get into the psychology. I'm going to keep moving. So this is, again, another one of my favourites. This actually comes from a messaging book, but it is really consistent with what we used at the mental health service where I worked. How do people change? How do people move? What moves people to action? Well, it's like a little puny uh, rider, which is our thoughts in the front of our brain, on a great big elephant which is the emotions in the back of our brain and the bits we share with, with um, animals, all about survival and um, sex and food and basic stuff like that. And so you've got to motivate the elephant. And another curious one is shaping the path. It's, this is from a book called Switch. Um, and there's a very interesting study there just comparing the effect of, being, of putting a map on a brochure about donating. So they compared really selfish people with really generous people and asked all of them to donate some food for some starving people somewhere. They found the biggest difference was not between the generous people and the not-so-generous people. It was between the people who got a map about where to go and leave their food and the people who didn't get a map. So this thing of telling people exactly what they need to do, making it doable, is actually really important as well. You're listening to Earth Matters environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. We're listening to an edited extract of a talk given by Jay Morton about the psychology of climate messaging, recorded at the Melbourne Sustainable Living Festival in February this year. Now, just in terms of this thing about fear doesn't work, have a think of the public health campaigns you know. Like, if you keep smoking, you might die you can quit. If you speed through the suburbs, you might kill a small girl, slow down. If you don't wear a seatbelt, you might fly through the windscreen and get brain damage, put on a seatbelt. If you have unprotected sex, the Grim Reaper will get you and you'll get AIDS, but you can wear a condom. They all pretty much have the same basic structure, high threat, personally relevant to you, you might die, there is something you can do about it. It works like a charm. This is a meta-analysis of 152 studies in the public health sector, and it shows that they're effective, there are very few circumstances in which they're not effective, and there are no circumstances out of the ones they... out of those 152 studies where they backfire. And look, the main thing is trust our experience. Have a look at the campaigns that work. Do they use fear? Of course they bloody use fear. Do they use anger? Well, that's not relevant in the public health sphere, but it's very relevant. Justified anger. Righteous anger. Things are unfair. People are doing bad stuff. We must rise up and do something. It works fine. How would the Stop Adani campaign be going if we weren't angry with Adani and angry with the federal government and probably angry with the Queensland government as well? When people say don't have kids or, you know, don't drive your car, you know, and you're living out in the suburbs, 
Personal guilt is very ineffective. When the plastics industry wanted to defeat um, container return legislation, they launched Keep America Beautiful. It's not our problem that we make all our um, drinks in plastic containers and you can't return them. It's your problem because you litter. And until you stop littering, we're going to have a litter problem. It's a calculated strategy by our opponents to individualise the problem. In the women's liberation movement, we used to say, beware the individual solution. We need to join together and do social change, not burn ourselves out with individual change. Look, if you can you know, put solar panels on your roof or something, great, but don't burn yourself out with individual change. That's what they want. And look, if we tell people it's really, really bad, there are some people who'll be sad and there are some people who'll despair. It's not a reason to stop. Some people will despair for a while and then get over it. Some people will despair and not get over it. But if we don't tell people, then the people who might have taken action won't know. We can't really tell the truth without upsetting ourselves and, and other people. You know, it is a very sad situation we're in. We need to connect to values. And like I said, everyone's values are pretty much the same. So this is a quote. We went door knocking in Reservoir, you know, fairly low-income part of Reservoir, because Martin Ferguson dared us. He said, their asses are hanging out of their pants. You go and door knock there and they'll eat you for breakfast. So we did, just to... Just because, just, um, you know, he dared us, basically. And look, what we found is even people who are struggling with their power bills, what they would say is, look, tell Martin we want subsidies or help to get solar panels on our roof, but... This is a quote from one of them. Coal and gas are going to keep going up and up in price. Wind and solar are free. It just says common sense. And anyway, we've got to do stuff to save the planet for our kids. Just because you're poor and you're worried about your power bills doesn't mean you don't care about your kids' future. High threat, high efficacy. We need to tell people how bad it is, but we've got to... Like, it's not as easy as just quitting smoking, is it? We've got to give them a path to success. We need a realistic path forward... With the technology, well, that's what people like BZE have been working on for years, but look, we need a realistic path a realistic path forward politically. We need hope that we can win the politics, not just the technology. I do love We Are the 99%. Like, Occupy grew from nothing to massive in just a matter of weeks, and it's still influencing. You know, like, talk about inequality is now so much stronger than just before the incredible few weeks where Occupy Pi went from nothing to big. All right, so look, another just bit of psychology that we'll touch on is in the back of our brain, where all that emotion is and where the gateways to deciding what action to take is all lodged, is all sorts of stuff about if you are abandoned by the herd, if you're left by the herd, the wolf will get you. Um, it's not because we're stupid. It's because bred into us from when we were animals is that if you are isolated from the herd, you are at risk of death. So people follow each other for good reason. You know, if we think there's something happening, we look around and go, well, other people, are other people reaction, reacting? It's because that's a survival strategy. If other people are running, even if we can't work out, well, we'd better run, you know, than hang around and look. So we've got to access that emotional part of the brain. We need some emotion in our messages. And look, our opponents, they don't hold back. You know, when did you ever hear a measured, polite, unemotional climate change denier? Three-word slogans. 
Trust your experience. Do three-word slogans work? Of course they work. They work for, they work for Abbott, but they, like, they work for us as well. Lock the gate. Farms, not gas. Save the reef. No dam. Clean solar. Some of them are two words. Um, quit coal. Stop Adani, right? If you can condense your campaign into a word or three, you have so much more chance of winning than if you go, we really should stay below two degrees because that's the threshold for Daniel crime has changed. And that's what Paris said. And we sort of agreed to Paris. But Paris, anyway, you know what I mean. If you can't sum it up in two words, it's probably not going to happen. So lots of other people use, you know, one or two or three words, equal love, change the date, right to choose, and resist in America, resist one word. Black, li- black lives matter. You know, there's endless number and they're all the same. Two, three, one, two, three, four words, that's about it. Now, this is another really, really important scientific, psychological fact, which also is incredibly well tested in the advertising sector. That is, the reason I've got a spinning wheel there is there's an amazing study where they sat someone down with a random wheels number. They spun the wheel, came up with some number, right? Random, irrelevant. Then they asked them, how many African nations are there in the United Nations? A completely and obviously unrelated question. And yet, the number that had come up on the spinning wheel influenced their guess. When you hear a number, your brain doesn't allow you to ignore it. Same thing with a TV set. You want to sell a $600 TV set? You put it in between the $800 TV set and the $400 TV set because we just can't help assuming that the truth and the best buy is in the middle. Ambit claims, negotiations for wages. Ambit claim from the union, I'm not going to give you anything from the boss, end up in the middle. So we don't do this though. We're so moderate. We're so, oh, well, it could be this and it couldn't be that. It could be that. We're so careful. We have spent what was called the critical decade. It was called the critical decade because that's, that's when we had to get to zero emissions. Between 2010 and 2020, that's what Beyond Zero Emissions was working on. Um, that's what the transition decade was working on. We didn't win, though, did we? We spent the decade arguing with the deniers. It's real. No, it's not. It's real. No, it's not. It's real. No, it's not. So somehow, in really super quick time, especially since we've only got you know two more years of the critical decade left, um, we've got to somehow shift. Oh, you can't see it very well. There's a middle bit in here, which is... Um, it's real versus an emergency. We've got to skip past it's real versus an emergency to the debate, which is it's an emergency and if we mobilise a massive set of actions, we can progress, we can win on it, versus we're too late. This is the debate we need to have right now. We need to skip the is it an emergency or isn't it an emergency because of that unconscious averaging. If we keep on going... It's an emergency, it's an emergency, it's an emergency. Eventually, people will move towards us. It's what the deniers do all the time. They go, not happening, not happening, not happening, not happening. They never move towards us. We've got to go, emergency, 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 and then, not the deniers, because they're paid, but ordinary society will move towards us. So, how do we do that? The way we try and tell the truth about it now is by saying climate change is real dangerous and it's already happening, Right? So, you know, it's happening, houses falling in the sea, bushfires, coral, droughts and things. But how many people really think this is going to get them? 
How many people just think, oh, well, I better not buy a Sydney beach house on the shore? Well, they're probably not going to anyway. How many people think, oh, well, I better not build in a bushfire-prone area? How many people think, oh, I better just get a few, you know, shutters for extreme winds and things? And how many people think, oh, well, probably food's going to be a bit more expensive, but I'll cope? So it, these are arguments that are very effective for moving people to it's happening. But how many are really of the stop smoking or you'll die type impact? I'm wondering, like, I don't know exactly what we've got to say that is more personally relevant and in a sense more scary, but I think people dying or you know, things like people running out of water. I think we've really got to stop talking about climate change. We don't know what the best is, but you know, something like climate emergency, climate crisis, irreparable damage... We've got to stop talking about Paris targets. Like People don't even know what they are, let alone have any visceral emotional reaction to them. So I'll just go quickly through anger. Like there, there, It's not so widespread, but there is a sort of thing about don't be angry, don't encourage people to be angry. It's sort of not nice. I think we've got to. I asked a journalist, what should we do to promote the climate emergency message? He said, you've got to target Murdoch more. He is a large part of the problem and you're just letting him off the hook. We've got to tell the story. Like, 83 individuals own more than half the world's population. How is this going to work? And it's really just a 1,000 corporations that, you know, are doing the biggest job of completely destroying the planet. Shouldn't we at least mention them? From the women's movement. We used to sing a song. Don't be too polite, girls. Don't be too polite. Why? Because we were prone to be too nice. And we had to sort of rev ourselves up a bit just to go, we want this... I think sometimes the climate movement is too polite. We've got to rev ourselves up a bit and go, look, this is not acceptable. There's a book at the moment called, just come out, called Unprecedented Crime. I think that's the sort of language we need to talk about. These people, so they can leave a few more billion to their kids, are prepared to destroy the planet. You know, we need some strong language on that, not this. Not just, oh, well, they've got right-wing values, we've got to try and talk to them. Please, no. So we've got to shape the path. We've got to give people a sense of the way forward. All the solutions basically are path to a better world in terms of just the technology, but also in terms of the politics. We actually have to build a fairer, more democratic world to win on this. So it's all upside in terms of everything we do is going to make life better. We need best-case scenarios, not just waste worst-case scenarios. So accept your thoughts and feelings, choose action in line with your values, and be sure to bloody join us and do some stuff. Thank you. Jane Morton from Darabin Climate Action Now. You can find their booklet, Don't Mention the Emergency, Making the Case for Emergency Climate Action, on their website. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave us a review? It helps spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.